This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey, friends, good morning. Hey, you are a part of history. Like, welcome to our first official 1030 service at Grace Collective, right? Like last week we did 1030, but it was Easter, so you always mix things up a little bit. But we had an amazing 830 worship service this morning. Now y'all come in praising and singing at 1030. I love to fill God's house with praise. Hey, so here's a little question. Here's a question to kind of get us started this morning. Is there like an area in your life where you know where you are, you look at where you are, and you wonder how you got where you are from where you started? Like maybe, maybe it was a job. Maybe it's a, uh, a dating relationship. Maybe it's your faith. Like, like maybe, maybe it was um, like you had a, just a terrible, terrible interview for this new job. You had a terrible interview, but for some reason, they called you, they offered you the position, you took it, you've been there for five years, and now you're killing it. And you're like, I don't know how I got to where I am from where I started. Or maybe, maybe you met this girl, and at first you were hating her, but now you're dating her, and you're like... I- I don't know how this happened from where we started. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's your faith. Maybe you, maybe you grew up like going like to Sunday school every Sunday. Your mom and dad had you in church every time the doors were open and you, you were president of your youth group. And then you graduated high school and you went to college and, you know, college things happen. And then, then you got in the real world and life got busy and just life got um, just in the way of your faith. And now you're, you're not even sure you believe in Jesus anymore. And how did you get where you are from where you started? Or maybe you're the opposite of that. Maybe you started like not believing in God. Maybe, maybe you didn't even want to hear about who Jesus was. And now today, like you're following him so hard. How did you get to where you are from where you started? So I have one of those areas of my life. It's called my marriage. And I'll start by saying I am married to the most amazing woman in the world. I said that at 8.30 and she was sitting right there. I got so many brownie points from that statement alone. Like she didn't hear anything else after that, I don't think. But so for Marsha, for me, for Marsha, it's like, it's, it's our, for me, it's my marriage. Um, so I met Marsha down in Kentucky when I was at Asbury Seminary. I went south to Asbury Seminary. Marsha came north to Asbury College. These two institutions were across the street from each other. And although one was born out of the other, they, they were pretty different back in our day. Like we're talking 35-ish years ago. For instance, at the college where Marsha was, um, guys, if you came with a beard, you could keep it. But if you came without a beard, you couldn't grow it during the semester on, on campus. And ladies, like at least Marsha's first, you, you, you could probably grow a beard if you wanted to, ladies. I don't know, you know on campus. I don't know if they had a rule against that. <laughs> but, but ladies, like Marsha's first two years at least, ladies were not allowed to wear jeans to class. You had to wear dresses or skirts every day. It was like a strict college, but across the road at the seminary, we weren't that strict. And so all the guys who were like at the college envied us across the street at the seminary and they didn't really trust us. They thought that every time we crossed the street to like walk across our campus, that we were wife shopping. (laughs) And to be honest, when you're at seminary and 80% of the people with you are, are guys, yeah, my friends are going to walk across the street to see what we can meet, you know? And so, so yeah, there was a girl at Asbury College. I was really keen on her. She was, she was really attractive, really sweet, really nice. I had, you know, a, a, a crush on her, and her name was 
not Marsha. Her name was Beth. And Beth was a sweet southern girl, real pretty. And so I knew like the dormitory where Beth lived. And I knew kind of when she would be outside. And so I happened to walk across the street one day to see if I could meet Beth. We were, we were friends. I thought I'd just go over and hang out with her a little bit. And sure enough, she was outside of her dorm with some of her friends. And it was a beautiful sunny day like today. And so I'm standing on the sidewalk for a little while just enjoying talking to this really pretty girl named Beth. And her friends are there. A few other girls come and join the conversation. So I'm telling you that story. Can Take that story, hold it here, like pin it right there for a minute. So several years ago, Marsh and I were out um, with some new friends and they looked at us and they said, so how did y'all meet? And I told them this great story about how Marsh and I met. I told them about this great story about how uh, this beautiful blonde bombshell and blah, 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 from South Georgia, had a Southern accent. Daddy was a pastor. Um, she owned a truck. He does three strikes. I'm out. And so, so I talked about this great story, how we met, all the neat little details of it. And when I was done telling it, I looked over to Marsh and see her, you know, to see what she was smiling. And she wasn't smiling. She was doing this like, I said, sweetheart, are you having a spasm? You know, and, and she's like, that, that is not the first time we met. And she proceeded to tell a story about when I walked across the street from seminary to this, to see this girl I like named Beth standing on the sidewalk on a sunny day talking to this pretty girl named Beth. And guess who one of the one the girls was that walked up to join the conversation? Marcia. I don't remember that. <laughs> she, she said, Rich, the, this is the first time. I said, no, 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 no. I would remember meeting you the first, because you're so beautiful, baby. And I would remember meeting you, but apparently I just said, eyes for Beth. I have no recollection at all of meeting Marsha the first time we actually did meet. I'm in so much trouble. I, 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 I will never live that one down. But, but I wonder, like, how did we get to where we are in our marriage with a start that's not very stellar like that? But we all have those areas of our lives. You have an area of your life like that, right? Where you wonder, how did I get here from when I started over there? The same thing can be said of the church. Think about it. Just think about this for a minute. Think about the, the earliest days of the church, the early church. The leader of the church, Jesus, the leader of the church was rejected by his own people. He was, uh, he was put to death by the leaders of his own people. And when he died and the movement died... And his followers began to disband. That's not a very stellar start for the church. But after he died, like on the third day, something happened, right? Jesus came back to life. We celebrated that. We talked about that more fully last week when we celebrated Easter. But now Jesus came back to life. He starts going to his followers. Hey, guess what? I'm back. I'm here. I'm alive. He's showing himself to them. And you might start to think, wow, now that, now that's a great start to the church. Not really. Because even though that's like the most amazing thing the world had ever seen, there were only 120 people who claimed to follow Jesus when that, when that happened. Uh, think of the population of the world, the entire world at that time. Only 120 people claimed to be followers of Jesus. And what's more, they all lived in the armpit of the Roman Empire. That's how Judea was viewed. It was not a, it was not a vacation spot for many people. And the Romans who were over them didn't like them. None of the other nations around them liked them. I mean, it's not a difficult thing to figure out why. Here's this little religious sect in the armpit of the kingdom of the, of the empire. And they have one God. All the other nations had a pantheons of gods. And these little people with their one God, like, he didn't play nice with their gods. He, he wouldn't have nothing to do with 
their gods. So they were just selfish and, and, and stubborn. And besides that, this little group of 120 people, they were an offshoot from the Jews. And nobody liked the Jews. You know why? Because the Jews didn't like anybody. A Jew, a good Jew would never um, marry someone that wasn't a Jew. Um, a good Jew would not do business with someone from another nation. A Jew would even rarely talk to somebody who wasn't Jewish. And so to all the other nations around, looked at the Jews, and now this little group of 120 break off from the Jews as you're, you're just selfish and you're racist. And that was the view of the early church. The whole world was against them. That's not a very stellar start to the church. So how, with that not stellar start, did the church become what it is now? How did the church become the world's largest religion? How did the church become this, this faith that one-third of today's population says they claim and believe? How did the church, with that start, become the most life-changing, world-changing force the world has ever seen? Well, the answer to that is not hard, but it, you have to ask the right question. The question is not how did they become. The question is why did they become? Why did the church survive? Why did the church uh, endure all the persecution? Why did the church uh, make it through all those hard challenges and hard changes? Why did the church keep going when the whole world around them was telling them to stop? Here's why. I want you to pay really close attention because this is gold. You ready? The church was passionate about prioritizing God. So they were passionate about prioritizing God's work. I'm going to read that again. We're going to break it down, but here's why. Because the church was passionate about prioritizing God, so they were passionate about prioritizing God's work. The early church focused on what Jesus told them to do, period. They focused on the lost. They built the church by telling people about Jesus in a world that, that needed rescued from all the distractions from and all the distortions of the truth, they did what Jesus told them to do, period. So you can point to a lot of places in Scripture where we see what Jesus tells us to do. They all come back to one thing. Let me give you the parable that Jesus told you. Many of you remember this. Remember when Jesus said, hey, there was a shepherd. He had 100 sheep. One got lost. He wandered away, got lost. But the 99 were still there. Remember this parable? And Jesus said, hey, that shepherd... He looked at the 99 and said, hey, y'all are well-fed, well-maintained, well-taken care of, but this lost one, I'm going to pursue the lost so I can rescue the lost, that one. He didn't love the lost one more. He just prioritized the lost one more. And when Jesus was saying that, I, I believe Jesus was saying, hey, if you want to follow me, if you're going to be my church, you got the same priorities I have. Prioritize me so you prioritize my work. And that is the why behind the church succeeding for all of these millennia, all, all this time. The church was passionate about prioritizing God, so they were passionate about prioritizing God's work. So, so Jesus has this plan. He said, if you're going to follow me, I, I want you to create a culture of rescue. And here's his plan for how we could do this. Here's how Jesus planned for planting the church. When Jesus launched his church, he didn't start by building a building. He started by gathering 
people. One day, Jesus was walking on the road with his 12 apostles, and he was going to this city called Caesarea Philippi. Now, many of you will remember this, this story. If it's new to you, uh, this, this great. We'll teach you something new today. But he's going to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you've ever heard of this event, when you um, heard it, it, we kind of make it sound like Jesus is out for this beautiful Sunday stroll on a nice sunny day, just enjoying the beautiful area. He's going to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, there were lots of Caesareas. You ever wonder when you drive through different states, oh, there's a, there's a city in that town named just like a city in, in, in this state, in a city in this state. They all have the same name. There were a lot of Caesareas around. This is Caesarea Philippi because Philip, who was leader at the time, developed that city, so to set it apart from the other Caesareas, this is Caesarea Philippi. And it's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, most of Jesus' ministry, and when you read the New Testament, almost all of it starts from the, the Sea of Galilee south, like 80 miles, that 80 miles stretch down to Jerusalem. All of the New Testament happens in there, but Jesus, once in a while, will go up north to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of, of the, the Sea of Galilee. That doesn't seem like very far for us. Some of you may have driven that far to get here today, but back in that day, you're not driving, you're walking. This is a two-day journey. So this is as far north as we ever read about Jesus going in, in, in Scripture. Like this is the, the uppermost time place that Jesus went. And it was a pretty place. Caesarea Philippi, it was known for these, these natural springs that were like turquoise blue water. They had these beautiful like twin waterfalls. It was known as the most fertile land in the whole country. So yeah, Jesus is walking, you know, on this maybe a sunny day on the road, this beautiful place. But it was also a hotbed of pagan religion and worship. When you go 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, you're no longer in Jewish territory. You're now in the world. You're now in, in an other nation. You're now um, in this hotbed of just pagan ritual. And so there were shrines and temples, these false gods and goddesses just littering the land side, the land. So Jesus is walking along with his apostles and he's, uh, he, he's, he's looking around and he sees you know, probably these, these Shrines and temples, people scurrying in, in and out, taking in sacrifices, coming back out, doing detestable things to the temples of those temples, because that's what they did. They thought that's how they should worship their false gods. And against that backdrop, Jesus asked like the most penetrating question. And I can see Jesus like looking at this just hot mess of pagan worship, looking around and understanding what's going on, and looking at his 12 apostles and say, Hey, I I see all this. I know what the world runs after. The world is so lost. The world is so distracted by and other things and distracted from the real truth of who I am. So let me ask you apostles a question. Who do people say that I am? And you remember the answer they gave them? They said, well, some people think you're, you're John the Baptist, like reincarnated, come back to life. Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus got personal. Jesus like stepped up right in front of them. And he asked them an even more penetrating question. Let me read this to you. I'm going to read this to you from a guy who was actually there. This comes from the pen of Matthew, one of the 12 apostles who walked on that road into that area, who was there with Jesus when Jesus asked the question. So here, here it is. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Like, hey, you've been with me for a while now. Who do you say I am? Hey, you've, you've been in church your whole life. Who do you say I am? Hey, you've been at Grace Collective for uh, almost a year now. 
Who, who, who do you say I am? Fair question, right? Fair, that's not hidden below the belt. Fair question. Jesus wants to know. Verse 16, Simon Peter, one of the 12, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, hey, hey, Simon Peter, that's, that's who this is, Simon, Simon Peter. Hey, no one taught you this. You didn't learn this from a teacher. You didn't learn this by reading a book. You learned this because you've prioritized me and the father has shown this to you. This is, this is what you get when you, when you prioritize God in your life. Listen, the world, I, I know what the world's chasing after, and it's not me. They're, they're chasing after distortions of me and distractions from me. But when you prioritize me, make me Lord and make me leader of your life, man, I, I, I will show you the real truth. The world can't teach what the world doesn't have. So, so he says, hey, this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I, I, I really think Jesus was saying to them, hey, this, I see how the world is. Something needs to change, and Peter's answer stood out. Different from all the other people, all, all that whole culture around them, what they were doing. While they're running from temple to temple and God to God and pleasure to pleasure, Peter steps up and boldly proclaims, Jesus, you are God, period. And Jesus is like, that's the truth. That's the truth. It's going to change the world and change lives. That's the truth. And that's the rock I'm going to build my church on. By the way, I, I know some of you, I know some of you come from faith backgrounds that taught you that Jesus said, oh, Peter, you're the rock I'm building my church on. That's not what the Greek says. Go back to original languages. Jesus was referring to the rock solid statement that Peter made that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. And Jesus said, that's it. I'm building my church on that. The truth of knowing who Jesus is, prioritizing him as Lord and leader, that's what would change the world. So Jesus just unveiled his plan. He's, he was going to build his church, and, and this church would change lives and change the world. And now the word that Jesus used here that we render church, the word Jesus uses is ecclesia. But it's not what we translated in our English language. See, there were some German theologians who, who had the, the Greek, Greek text, and they took a German word and plugged it in there for church. And their word meant place of meeting, a, a place, a gathering place. But that's not the word Jesus used. Jesus used ecclesia. I know this is thrilling you, but next time you go to a party, you can say, hey, you know what the church is? Ecclesia. Oh yeah, I speak Greek. One word. Ecclesia. But what Ecclesia meant was a gathering, not a gathering place, but a gathering of people. It literally meant to draw people out, to pull people out from where they were, all the distractions, all the distortions they're living in, and to collect them together for one purpose. Jesus said, I'm going to build my Ecclesia. I'm going to build this gathering of people, and I'm going to show you what truth is. You're going to stand on my truth, and then after I gather you in, I'm going to send you back out because we're creating a culture of rescue not a context of comfort. 
And so Jesus unveils this plan. And here's how, here's how he commissioned his people that he gathered to do this. Let me set this up for you. Like for us, like today, it's been a week since we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. But go back to them, to, to, to Jesus' day, and pretend now you're 40 days past the resurrection. 40 days of Jesus showing himself to his followers. 40 days of Jesus proving himself to be alive. 40 days of Jesus showing himself to hundreds of people, actually, that he was back, that he was alive. So he's been doing this for 40 days, and and this changed his apostles' lives. It changed their hearts. It changed their minds. It changed their motives. It changed their direction. Like, instead of disbanding, they began regrouping. Instead of hiding, they began telling, you know, and it Jesus is back. They're like, whoa, Jesus is back. But don't you, don't you think at some point somebody would have asked, why? Hey, Jesus, I, I get it. Jesus, you had to die on the cross to, to take the penalty of my sin. I get that. And then on the third day, Jesus, you had to raise again to prove it was true. And you did that. Way to go, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm 100% before you. Thank you for doing that. You did it. Why are you still here for 40 days? Like, Jesus, your job is finished. So why are you still on the job site? You ever wonder why? Because the job isn't done. Jesus finished his job. Hey, guess what, friends? Ours is just about to begin. So Jesus is going to commission his followers. His his work's not finished, so he's about to commission us to carry on the next phase of the work that he is doing. Listen now, he called his followers to do this. Remember, it's 40 days after the resurrection, one of the last times he met with with, with his followers. Again, coming from Matthew, who was there when this event took place. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Like, therefore, if you receive me as Lord and Savior, therefore, if you've made me the the Lord and leader of your life, if you prioritize me above everyone and everything else, if I am the Lord of your life, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Listen, people, people make witnessing way harder than it is. Jesus is just saying, hey, just go tell them what I taught you. Go tell them what I've done for your life. Just go, go tell people your story. Like, I used to be here, but somehow I ended up here. I'm not sure how I got here, but the, the difference was Jesus. And guess, guess what? Nobody, nobody can tell you your story's wrong because it's your story. And nobody can tell your story better than you. So don't, don't make it harder than it is. Jesus said, hey, go teaching them every, to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that, was, became, that became the priority of the church. This is why the church succeeded. The early church prioritized God and his work, so they prioritized people, and they pursued people, and they invited people, they instructed people. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't rules. It wasn't religion. It wasn't tradition. It wasn't rituals. You know why? Because they didn't have any of those things. They were brand new. You know what they had? All they had was a relationship with Jesus and a command he gave them to go tell other people about him. Like, go tell everyone, everywhere, every day. Oh, that's good. We're going to keep that. 
Go, go tell other people about me. That, that's all they had. Hey, I, I, I've made Jesus Lord of my life, and now I'm going to help him do what he's starting to do, period. Don't you say this the right way. Sometimes it feels like the rules, the traditions, the religion, that those things actually become the distraction and the distortions that keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. So maybe today we need to rethink that. Maybe moving forward as a church, we need to rethink that. When Jesus launched his church, they took a relationship and a command, and they changed the world. Everything they did was intentionally focused on fulfilling this command. Everything they did was intentional. Friends, we've got to be too. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever accidentally won someone to Jesus? That doesn't happen, right? How many of you have ever kind of haphazardly fulfilled the Great Commission? Like you walked home from work one day and said, oh my gosh, I got 10 people following Jesus just because I, I'm me. We really shouldn't laugh at that, but it is laughable. Because I talk to people all the time. Like, do you witness to people? No, I just try to live my life. Like, like I live by what I believe and that's a good enough witness. Really? <laughs> Are you that full of yourself? <laughs> Because I'm thinking, if, that was, if I'd said that, follow me for 30 minutes and you'll change your mind. I'm not that good. And guess what? Neither are you. Sorry, thanks for coming today. Get to insult you. But if, if, if you think, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't have to tell anybody anything about Jesus. I can just live my life by what I believe, and somehow by woo, osmosis, they're going to become believers. What planet are you living on? Not this world, because it doesn't work. We're just not that good. We have to be so intentional about how we fulfill the Great Commission. So let me do this as we close up this morning. Let me just begin to taper down and show you how we at Grace Collective are being intentional. How about how, how, what, what it's going to drive Grace Collective to fulfill the Great Commission. It's called the Great Commission Engine. I didn't come up with this. I've been studying this since last fall. Um, I was blessed to uh, be one of about 12 people invited to a conference in Florida for church planners, and we just, we just huddled around this idea um, for the better part of a week. And it's such good stuff. I've, I've been in conferences, I've been in conferences all over the world for how to be the church, how to do church, and they give you principles. This is not a principle thing, this is a process. And so um, I, I think, really believe God is blessing this. And so this is going to be a process that we've already begun using here. And I want to break it down. Like today, what I want to do is give you about a 30,000 foot view of this. And then every week, what we're going to do for the next five weeks is take a component of it and get like down to a 2,000 foot view of it and just break it apart, show you where it comes from biblically and practically how we're going to use it to win the lost to Jesus, to fulfill the great commission. Does that sound kosher? Okay, great. So here it is. This is the Great Commission engine. How many of you are car people? You understand engines? I don't. So I'll use language I know, and hopefully it makes sense to you who are, you, who are car people. So this is like a three-piston engine. I know there are three-piston engines. I think the Yugo had probably a two-piston engine. I don't know. Or it wasn't very powerful. Um, but this is a three-piston engine. The three big boxes are, th are the three pistons. Let's start with the catalytic weekend experience. That is what we do here every Sunday morning. It is a catalyst to what happens the rest of the week. It is a catalyst to you and me just coming, being filled up, and going out and being poured out. It is everything we do from the street to the seat. 
It is. You ever wonder why? Why do we have people out in the parking lot welcoming you in? They're not just there to tell you where and how to park. They're there to tell you that you are loved the moment you drive into this parking lot. Even better, you ever see them out there holding a the sign, honk if you love Jesus? They're there to tell everybody driving by that, that they're loved by Jesus. In fact, how many of you have seen the new little boutique called Collective Boutique right on 993, right, right outside Manor? It's, it's right down from my house. So I, I, I walked in there the other day to meet the owner, and she was real nice, and she and her husband and little boy run this, this, that new building there. Um, and I was telling her about the church. Surprise, surprise. And so telling her about the church, and oh, oh, are you that church where people stand on the road on Sunday mornings holding sign? Yeah, we honk at that every single time. Yes, I was, come in. Because <laughs> she said, we're not going to church anymore. Well, come on, take a turn and come on in. But we have people in the parking lot, not just to help you park, but to start your day well, to tell you we love you and that you're welcome here. And then you walk in and you have people at the door welcome you in and a hospitality team at the desk and people walk down the hall in a cafe and, and kids ministries downstairs. And by the way, by the way, Today, at this service is the very first day we just launched a brand new ministry called the Nursery Crew Junior. Exciting, right? And so, so we, but we have all that. And you ever wonder why we worship like we do? You ever wonder why we sing the songs we do? You ever wonder why we painted the ceiling black and don't have the windows open? You ever wonder why? Well, we're going to break that down on these Sundays. We're going to tell you all those answers about why we do what we do on a catalytic weekend experience. Uh, next one is life-changing relationships. Man, they, the early church got this so well. They did this so, so, so good. They knew that if they were going to survive uh, the cultures around them, if they are going to become the church they're supposed to be, they had to be in a, in a just amazing relationships together. Like you have, the, you have the vertical relationship I have with Jesus, but Jesus also had been in relationship with each other. And that's why we push life groups so hard. That's why we believe that when you leave here, you ought to be in relationship with other believers. Because listen, I, I understand what it's like living out in the world. It's hard. It's hard. And if you don't have other people around you to encourage you, to, to walk with you, man, you're going to burn out before you catch fire. And so we believe that those are super, super important. Um, they were super important in the early church, and they are super important to us today. So we'll, we'll break that down one week as well. The next one is surrendered living. This, this is serving. This is saying, hey, hey, Jesus, you really are the priority of my life. You're not an afterthought. You're not, you're not just a Sunday morning experience. You're, you're not just something I fit into my schedule. You really are the priority of my life. You're Lord and leader of my life. So I'm going I'm to surrender my life to you. Like my resources, my time, my, my giftedness. Uh, I'm going to serve you and give to you, God, just because you told me to. And I believe in you. It's going to further your kingdom. So surrendered living, that's what, what that one is. Um, and then you see up on the, the left... Uh, Holy Spirit slash prayer. Man, that's the fuel of this engine. That's what drives this engine. That's what, that's what cranks this engine up. That moves us. Do you know we have a prayer team that meets before worship service praying for you? Do you know there's a, a prayer session a Sunday morning before you ever arrive? Do you know there's a prayer group that meets here every other Thursday night praying for the needs of this church and this community? You ever wonder why? We're going to find out why when we, when we break that one down. And the Holy Spirit, He is just the power source for everything that we do. Up on the upper right corner of that triangle is called the engagement pathway. That is how we uh, incorporate and connect people into the life of Grace Collective. Now, I want you to hear me very, very clearly on this. We are not about connecting people to a church. We're about connecting people to Jesus. I don't care where you go to church. Just make sure it's biblical and they love Jesus. 
We're not about getting people to join a church. We're getting people to join the journey with Jesus. Do you ever wonder why you're not a member here? Because we don't have members. We're family. Family's different than membership, right? You ever wonder why? We're going to break all that down when we pull out the engagement pathway and talk about it one Sunday. And all of this, all of this circles around, all of this revolves around, those pistons are firing around one thing in the very center, your one. The one that's lost. The one that Jesus said, that's my priority, so it should be your priority too. Why do we do all this that we do? About, it's about the one. And that's who Grace Collective is. Listen, Grace Collective, I don't think, is, is a very typical church. Every week for the next five weeks, we're going to break this down and talk about it. My hope is it's going to excite you about the mission and the vision of what Jesus is doing right here at Grace Collective. Uh, Dave Corns um, is a guy who's going to be leading the videos for your life groups for these next number of weeks. And he said something very powerful I wanted to, to give you as we get ready to close this morning. He said this. He said, if we're not passionately prioritizing the work of building God's church, it's an indication that we're not passionately prioritizing God. Let me read that again. Let it sink in. If we're not passionately prioritizing the work of building God's church, that's all, every one of us, then it's an indication that we're not passionately prioritizing God. It's like we've, we've given ourselves to, a, to lesser things, to the distractions and the distortions of this world. Listen. You will not give yourself, you will not give yourself to anything more important in this life than God's plan and command to build his church. It's like from the pages, from the pages of the New Testament, Jesus is looking over his shoulder, right at you and right at me and right at us. And he's saying, follow me, join me, build my church with me. And I don't know what distractions and distortions you've had in your life or what, what you're going through right now. What has kept you from being a church builder? What has kept you from being uh, who God says he wants you to be and reaching the lost? I don't know what excuses you've made or reasons you've had, but I know that this morning is the day to lay them down. Have y'all noticed yet that we made this space bigger up front? This is almost 500 square feet. Of space we've made just for you. I mean, it's purposely done for you. It's intentional. So that when we worship, can we have a, a mosh pit? <laughs> hey, hey when we, when, like next week when you come into worship and you want to just get up here for worship, do it. Alex, you've seen this at youth rallies, right? When all the youth rush to the front, and they just can't wait to worship at the altar. This is intentional space. You want to just come up here and pray? You can do that. You want to come up here and today surrender? You can do that. Like, hey, all, my, all those distractions, all those, all those things that got in the way of me being a church builder, Jesus, I'm laying those down because I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be part of a church that's doing what you want us to be, helping you, Jesus, build your church. So this morning, we're going to sing one more song. And as we do, I'm inviting you, if you want to, to come to the front. Say, God, I'm in. Man, God, I am so in. I don't know how I got here from where I was, but here I am. And I want to be part of building your church alongside you, Jesus. And you're welcome. Come up and make that commitment or just lay down whatever you need to lay down this morning. This space is reserved for you, wide open. Before we do, let me, um, 
And let me give you the weekly ask. These are things I'm asking you to go home and not just think about, but actually talk about and begin to do something with. Here's number one. Has the church, not just Grace Collective, but has the church lost our priority of God and therefore our passion for his work? Number two, what distractions or distortions have caused you, individually you, to settle for not building Jesus' church? And I would add, so what are you going to do about it? And number three, this is your talking point. If your parents have kids downstairs, they're talking about the same thing downstairs. Listen, why don't we begin to raise up a generation? Not like most of us were raised, where church was go, take your seat on Sunday, do the Sunday morning thing, but then go live your life any way you want to the rest of your, your, the week. What if we raise up a generation that really got Jesus building his church and what we get to do as part of that? What if we did that? So here's a talking point coming home with your kids this week. What is the church and what does Jesus want me to do? You may not have a more important conversation to have with your kids than that one all week long. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand to sing. Jesus, we don't want to just keep playing at church. We want to be the church. Jesus, we believe we've got a really great process that we've already begun, begun putting into place. We believe there's some great things happening and starting. But Jesus, we also believe that we're easily distracted and the truth gets easily distorted. And so we're asking you to keep us on the right track as your people, as your church. Call us out of the world. Call us together and give us the purpose that you've always had in, in mind for us as your people. And Jesus, let us work so hard, giving everything we are and everything we have to fulfill the work you've asked us to do to build your church with you. So Jesus, we commit this to you and we cannot wait to see, Jesus, what you do as we, as we commit ourselves to this glorious purpose. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, let's stand as we sing our final song. Remember, this whole front is open for you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.